This is a Culture Inject production. This week on The Nevers, we're spotlighting the actors and creatives behind the camera, as well as discussing possible themes, topics and storylines that the show might handle. I'm Tyg. Hi, and I'm Heather, and this is The Nevers Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the discussion and dissection of every episode of the upcoming HBO series, The Nevers, an original sci-fi drama by master storyteller Joss Whedon. If you'd like to follow us online, please visit our website at hbothenevers.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at hbothenevers. If you wish to stream the podcast, you can find The Nevers Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Amazon Podcasts. We're also on YouTube and pretty much anywhere else that has podcasts. If you have any ideas, comments, questions, or interview requests, send them to theneverspodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoy our podcast and want to support us, consider joining us on Patreon. Benefits include some awesome Nevers podcast merchandise, entry into giveaways, access to Patreon-only shows such as Dollhouse Awakens, and so much more. Just search The Nevers Podcast Patreon. Also, don't forget to rate and review our podcast as it helps us move up the charts and get seen by more people. Speaking of reviewers, we have another five-star review, this time from Starjack86 on Stitcher. That's a freaking cool name, yeah. Starjack86. Kind of sounds like a movie. Like, oh, did you see the Starjack reboot? <laughs> yeah, I liked it, but I thought Starjack86 was the one that really killed it. Starjack had to say, I'm really looking forward to The Nevers, but it's still so far out from when it'll finally air. So I'm really happy that I have a podcast about the show that I can listen to in the meantime. The hosts are an enjoyable and eclectic group of people with a seemingly vast knowledge of Whedon's work, which makes listening to the podcast that much more enjoyable. Well, thank you very much, Starjack, yeah, thanks, Starjack. for the review and the kind comments. Woohoo! And yeah, we do we do have a couple of real Whedon encyclopedias on the cast. So. <laughs> Always great to tap into that knowledge. So, before we do the news, how are you doing, Tyke? Not bad. Yeah, not bad. Yourself? Not too. Not too bad. It's the weekend, you know. Indeed. I know it's relax. like nighttime over there. I could use windows aren't lit up anymore. That's crazy. Yeah, it's only quarter past seven, but it just it gets dark so quickly these days because winter in England. So what's going on in the future? <laughs> uh, pretty much the same as going on with you. Yeah, I hate to say it, but it doesn't get any better. So I, was, um, I have Rocky Road bars, though, so that's, that's a little plus. Yo. I made them earlier. Yeah. There's not anything going on here except COVID. So yeah, boo, <laughs> boo, COVID. All right, we'll do the news. Ella Smith, uh, who plays Desiree Blodgett uh, on uh, The Nevers, has started publicity. That has let us know the cast has probably started publicity, but she had an Instagram post that says publicity did and done. And Ann Skelly commented, "How how was it scary? Also, did you do your hair that way? I don't remember filming any of it." 
Jamie Hollis, who I guess was part of the the PR group, said, I had a lovely chat with about the upcoming Joss Whedon series, The Nevers, with one of the cast members today, and she 100% sold me on it. I can't wait for it to come out. So that sounds encouraging. Yeah. I've got to say, everything I'm hearing from the set and from the cast and from people who've spoken to the cast and crew sounds like this is really going to be a sh- like i know it's a long wait before it comes out but it sounds like it is absolutely going to be worth the wait i hope it's just amazing um mm. and i'm excited that it was ella smith who who talked about it because i'm really fascinated by her character so mm. so yeah i have a feeling she's going to be one of those characters that doesn't really appear on many people's like favorite like most anticipated characters but it's just going to steal everyone's heart the moment they start watching the show i hope so i hope she's a total smart ass too i can totally see that <laughs> yeah i mean from it from the little we know about her character i could definitely see a kind of kind of a, a certain level of cunning right so like we- world weary you know heart of gold the whole you know yeah exactly i mean joss writes those kind of characters so well it would be a shame to have such a perfect opportunity and not take it right speaking of our nerd overlord it's that time again. It's WhedonCon. And this year, the Nevers podcast is hosting its own panel at what is being dubbed HalloweenCon, which just that pun gives me life. <laughs> we'll be we'll be reviewing the cast and some of the familiar faces that make up the crew behind the camera, as well as sharing what little we know about the upcoming show and we're, why we're so excited for it and why we think all of you should be as well. The event kicks off at 11am. I'm not sure what time zone that is. I'm assuming probably central on October 24th. And if you wish to come along, which I strongly recommend you do, you can buy your tickets at www.weedoncon.com. I, I believe a good chunk of the proceeds go to charity. So you can call it your good deed for the day when you buy those tickets. Yes. And we'll all be in costume. So come see us. We will. <laughs> Juliet Landau, who uh, most notably everyone knows as Drusilla from uh, Buffy and Angel, uh, is premiering her directorial debut, A Place Among the Dead. It's a film. Uh, the tagline is in this revealing and terrifying meld of fact, fiction, and the fantastical. Actress filmmaker Jules, driven by the many demons of her past, embarks on a journey at the potential cost of everything she knows and loves. Uh, it is co-written by Landau and her husband, Deverell Weeks. Uh, the film delves into true crime, the reality of when people take fantasy and vampirism too far. It chronicles the fun, imaginative, creative side, and alternatively, the dark and disturbing side. Uh, it will be distributed by Modern Films, a London-based female-led production and distribution and event cinema company working with rising and established talent from around the world and bringing innovative stories to a global audience. They focus on creating connections between content, context, and curation with a particular emphasis on pressing social issues of our time through the power of cinema um, and cultural expression. So now she's got a really interesting set of cameos here, which I, when I saw the trailer, I was super impressed by. Uh, Joss, of course, is doing a cameo, but... Um, we would expect nothing less for him to support Indeed. his previous cast members, um, Gary Oldman. Ooh. So that's pretty impressive. Uh, yeah, Dracula. Right. Ron Perlman. And we all Love know him from Hellboy, yeah. among other things. Robert Patrick, the, uh, the liquid, uh, Terminator. Lance Hen- Henriksen, who is an amazing character actor. Um, and mm-hmm. Anne Rice. 
Wow. Who wrote the Vampire Chronicles. Uh, yeah. Lestat and Lewis and, you know, all those. Appearing for the first time in a film for her. That is, that's a huge scoop. Yeah. Also in the works is uh, the Undead series. All the artists who appear in A Place Among the Dead uh, return to, uh, to participate, as did Tim Burton, Willem Dafoe, and many others. So uh, we are trying to get her on so we can talk to her about A Place Among the Dead. So stay tuned. More info at modernfilms.com, A Place Among the Dead. So she's been doing a viral campaign for this film that we've been following on Twitter mm. about Have You Seen This Man? Um uh, and I watched the trailer. I don't know if you did or not. Uh, I did. I'm but it so looks, excited for this. Yes, it looks it looks like um, kind of a mesh between a documentary and a found footage sort of deal. Um, so I saw Robert Patrick in it, and it looked pretty impressive. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I I, I watched the trailer. And I just I didn't really know what to think. It it looks so bizarre and so intriguing, like. If, if I did, if I hadn't already known, if I hadn't seen the trailer on Juliet Landau's social media, I would immediately have known that it was her. It's like it just, it captures that kind of very bizarre feel and her, the whole kind of viral campaign to promote it with, have you seen this man? Was yeah. very unsettling. Well, like I, she, yeah, if you look in the trailer, she's looking for this one guy who I guess is like king of the vampires and she's going around talking to people about, you know, fictional vampires versus people that practice or identify with vampires in real life. And what I think happens is she kind of looking around, you know, goes too far and gets sucked Mm. into this really alternative dark side of it that nobody really knows about. So that's going to be fascinating. Yeah. I love the idea of kind of blending documentary, but then putting in a lot of kind of fantastical fictional elements to kind of just leave you all not quite sure what you're watching. It's going to be, It's going to be quite the event. I'm very excited to see it. Because like found footage, you're just asked to believe that it's all real, right? And this is, this is not found footage. She's still present, but you're asked to believe that this is a, um, a search, a real search for knowledge. So yeah. So good luck to Juliet. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. I really hope just like, even I knew nothing else about it, just for her, I hope it does really well because it seems like a real passion project and it's quite glad to see it's yeah. finally seeing, well, probably not the light of day, it's finally seeing the dark of the moon. Also, does she be... age? I no. mean, yeah. how long ago was Buffy? She looks amazing. Her and Kendra are actual vampires. That's the I only, well, the only know, explanation. She was a very serious ballet dancer, I believe. And I the, the women that I know that have been dancers, they just don't age. So, moving on to our discussion, as of September 7th, filming has officially resumed on The Nevers. So, the question then becomes, how far through the filming are they? How long do you think it will take them to finish? And where exactly will they be filming? We have spoken to an unnamed source who has revealed they're filming at Nebworth House and and extensively in Brighton-by-the-Sea. I was doing a little research before this, and Nebworth House is like one of the great stately homes of the country, and it's it's a huge place. Yeah, I'm wondering, do you think that could be the home of Lord Masson, played by Pip Torrens? He's meant to be a peer, so he's going to have quite a, a fancy place, and that could be his abode. Yeah, this I you know I I took a look at this place, and it's enormous. It's um, obviously somebody that would be 
the upper class landed gentry, somebody with a title. So that's very possible. Definitely. I mean, looking. That's not. You know, that's not a, a normal person's house. That that's a peerage, that's, right that's there. That's not. Wh- that's not where Desiree Blodgett lives. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of bedrooms in that place. You could fit a whole lot of, whole lot of fun in there. Yeah, I mean, I think that would seem most likely. It's not going to be. Um, it's not going to be the police officer. No. Uh, you know, uh, Frank Mundy. It's not going to be the orphanage because we know the orphanage was shooting in uh, Joyce Grove. Mm. Um, I I don't think Edmund Haig. Um, so I mean, it just really seems most likely that it, it, it it's um, unless it's a residence where. Um, they're shooting the queen, right? And that's standing in oh. for an interior where he's addressing the queen. Uh, I don't know if we'll see the possible. queen or not, but it's probably luxury enough that it could stand in for a residence for royalty. So, yeah, I highly doubt we'll see. We've spoken on the subject before, but I, I, I can't see them putting Victoria in <laughs> yeah. the first season, except for maybe like a. a cameo right at the end of the final episode right like i feel like they could go as far as having him stand outside a door and tell him she's waiting for you and he has to go in there but i don't think they're gonna cough up the queen anytime soon um i am fascinated by brighton though because brighton has a big role Mm. um in a lot of i'm a jane austen nut i'm a janeite so (laughs) brighton plays a big role in a lot of her books um and it's it's like a a vacation place right tyg Yep. in the uk it's yep, like yep. beaches beach. brighton yeah. by the seas you know and uh, the the pleasure beach and there's a huge yeah. kind of fun fair type situation there's a bit there's a long pier where they have um kind of shows and cool things it's it's, it's a it's a really fun place to go so that interests me at what what they're doing in brighton like if you know i can't like who's at the beach what are they doing at the beach you know if it's a seaside resort who's there well i know a few reasons people go to visit brighton but I don't think I don't think they'll be on the show. And then again, it's, it is HBO. You never know. But um, yeah, there's, there's quite a lot of there's quite a lot of potential for filming down there because it is quite a varied area. There's lots of there's lots of housing and lots of kind of small kind of rural esque towns. But there's also the huge pleasure beach. So there's lots of right a lot a lot of it has kind of period appropriate ironwork, etc. etc. So. Yeah, there's a lot of potential for filming some very fun scenes down there. Well, I would think I would think if they just needed interiors, they would be on a soundstage or they would be yeah. in London. It would be too expensive to go to Brighton just for interior work. So yeah, that, 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 they're definitely down there to shoot on the pier or on the right. beach or on kind of like skyline type situations. I'm excited. So how long do you think it's going to take? I, from the time that they announced that they wrapped episode one to finishing the first five before the COVID shutdown, it was like mm. three months? About that, yeah. So if they've started now, I bet the goal is to finish before the holidays. Yeah, I was just thinking, I'm guessing they'll be done around the first or second week of December. Because I'm really hoping they knocked out a lot of the kind of, the skeleton of the show, so to speak, sure, in that sure. first chunk of filming and now it's more about the smaller more character focused scenes and a lot of the kind of outside uh landscape type filming the only thing i think though is that if they're if they're finishing in november december that's not a lot of time for post 
for mm. a spring release. Well, I'm, I'm still kind of hoping there's not going to be a huge amount of post-production work needed. I'm hoping they go practical for as much as they can. This episode of the Nevers Podcast is sponsored by Dead Good Teas, aficionados of the sci-fi and horror genre and creators of premium heavyweight t-shirts and hoodies that are built to last. Dead Good Teas ships worldwide, so whether you're braving the Arctic winds of the Yukon or strolling the beaches of beautiful Thailand, Dead Good Teas has you covered. Thank you to Dead Good Teas for supporting quality podcasting. Start shopping today at deadgoodtees.co.uk and don't forget, you can follow them online So, our next topic is one that has been discussed many, many times because it is so true. Why does The Nevers have the potential to be Joss's greatest work to date? I think there's many reasons why, really, but the number one is it's, it's one of his most ambitious ideas. And speaking of Joss, that's really saying something. Yes. And the most important part, it's that perfect combination of a creator on fire and a network that's not going to f*** with him. That is the thing that Joss has been missing so much in the past. Agreed. And he has that now. 100%. So, yeah, like, I think just the fact that this, it has the potential to be Joss's greatest work because it has the potential to be kind of, in essence, the truest Joss work we've ever actually had. Because it'll hopefully have the bare minimum studio interference. You know, all I can do is agree. I think that this is the opportunity for him to go all in. Um, mm. I I think, you know, HBO has the reputation for absolutely not messing with their creators for the most part. Indeed. If they, you know, the, the show went, didn't even need a pilot. It went straight to series. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just super excited that he has this opportunity. I mean, in the last few weeks... There's been a lot of news about Game of Thrones and how much HBO meddled with their pilot because it needed it. So, Mm. I mean, I think it stands to reason that this has come way after Game of Thrones and they didn't screw with it at all. So, I mean, I, I, at least that we know of. So, so I think, you know, I think, you know, looking at the, the limited number of set pictures that we've seen and the locations that they're shooting at, that he's got the budget, he's got the faith of the, the company. And the production, his actors have been nothing but complimentary. Now, obviously, that's, you know, press, but, you know, I it's, I, I think it, it could be, you know, it, it's going to be tough to beat Buffy. I mean, don't get me wrong, yeah. because Buffy was so on time. Um, and we're t- going to talk about themes next, but I think that, um, I think that this absolutely, uh, with his ability to fully execute his vision, is going to be amazing. Yeah, I, I don't want to be that guy, but it, it sort of needs to be said. HBO, they're a huge company. They have almost bottomless pockets. It's good. Like, I know money isn't everything, but generally the people that say that are the ones that you know have the money. Knowing that he's got all the backing required and the faith from his company to do be as big and grand as you want you're looking at you know um Nebworth house and joyce grove these are beautiful sets looking at the props we've seen they're really they're beautifully made this is clearly going to be a really high quality product i mean that's that's going to get you a certain distance 
Well, I mean, not to be a horse nerd because I am a horse nerd, but just the the foreign hand carriages, the historical carriages, and all the horses, and the you know dressing up the historic areas of London to shoot some of this stuff. That is not cheap. Yeah. That is not cheap to rent all that stuff. So you know you got to have the the horses themselves, the animal wranglers, blah blah blah. So so yeah, they're going for it. I'm super excited. All in, baby. <laughs> So let's, we talked about uh, getting to themes. So the possible themes, you know, good versus versus evil, obviously, but Joss always has a way of uh, graying that out to where Mm. once you get to know some characters, it very much becomes um, how the world really is. The world is not Mm. black and white. The world is grayscale. Mm. Um, Redemption uh, is one of his huge, um, always through all of his work is redemption, change, um, perseverance, Sacrifice, humanity versus technology may come in on this. Um, uh, other topics, I think. I think the political situation across the world right now is is omnipresent. He, yeah. he tends he tends to be very political. I think he will probably tackle fascism and conservative versus uh, liberal politics. The the uh, classism, I'm sure, will come into play because it was such as much as it is now part of our world it, it was really present in victorian england so so i'm looking forward to to seeing how he executes those topics you know just a few of them or all of them uh, you know the show's supposed to at least run for five years we know from uh uh olivia williams signing a five-year contract so i you know he's got you know he's got it arced out right yeah i mean i'd love to think that a five-year contract equals five seasons but yeah, we know absolutely. that's not true. Absolutely. Well, we, I I think it's close. I, I was thinking he was if if I was Joss, I'd be planning for a three season arc with a potential to extend beyond that for as long as is required. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's planned out at least three seasons worth of storyline. Frankly, we've seen what Joss can do with one season. If he's got the chance to plan out a full three season arc i'm expecting it to cover just about the entire range of human emotion <laughs> i think it's not really a question of what themes do you think he'll cover it's what themes do you think he won't touch upon within this arc well and he's also said that the first season is his chance to have multiple pilots so <laughs> exactly so i wouldn't be surprised if we have kind of one arc going through uh, lord masson and Pip Torrance's character, Dennis O'Hare's Edmund Haig, then probably Zachary Momo's uh, Horatio Cousins. They're all very much kind of the upper tier of society. They're doctors, peers. They're going to be dealing with kind of rich people problems. Although I imagine being as he's meant to be one of the few successful West Indian physicians, there's going to be a certain element of kind of how horrifically racist old london oh, peers were yeah so he'll i'm imagining too, that's gonna be, I, I have yeah. a feeling he'll be somewhat of a curiosity because of it mm. looking at characters again looking at characters like uh horatio cousins and desiree blodgett and um, uh, harriet core a lot of the uh, the characters seem to be very strongly based on family and i think like, i know it's been, it's been a recurring theme in a lot of joss's work but i think that idea of kind of have like protecting your family finding a new family doing what you need to to keep the people you love safe is very much going to be an ever-present issue not just in dealing with classism with racism but also in kind of as you call it xenophobia because we're going to be in a situation where not only is it a very kind of volatile 
powder keg of an era with you know the kind of the empire bringing in people from new countries uh the emerging middle class meaning there's a lot of kind of class division but then add in that x factor of suddenly people from all across the spectrum are developing these crazy powers the question then becomes like you know say you know we've got we had two peers we have horatio cousins and Edmund Haig. You know, they're both doctors. They're both relatively high class. But then if one of them suddenly develops a power, that's a split right there through the middle. Like, how do you deal when people that were, you know, your your peers, your workmates, when suddenly they become something so completely different? How does that affect your day-to-day life? How does that affect your opinion of them? Do you think they've been cursed by the devil? Do you think it's a gift from God? Is it something in the middle? a different viewpoint i feel like this is very much going to be an upstairs downstairs sort of thing and i feel like uh the crossover will be maybe lavinia and lord masson because lavinia is obviously to have as much money as she does it's going to be very mm-hmm. wealthy maybe titled and that she's going to be running this orphanage on the side and then masson lord masson is going to have a bunch of people like i, I feel like edmund haig and uh, Nicholas Purball, who's Odium, and they're all going to be people, uh, unsavory characters he deals with to do his dirty work. I kind of feel that way about them. You have Augie, who is uh, Lavinia's younger brother, so he's going to be kind of the money, you know, younger kid without a care in the world. Uh, I don't know where Horatio fits into it. Um, if he knows Lavinia or if he's, it's through Haig being a, the same doctor. But then you have kind of the, the doctors who I believe in Victorian era were considered upper middle class and uh, as well as, uh, and then middle class was kind of the police officer. And then all the orphans who are, and Desiree Blodgett who are low, clearly lower class. Uh, also, yeah. we don't know anything about Amalia or what her class is. No one's really talked about True. that. And she's the main character, so it's super, you know, annoying (laughs) that we don't know (laughs) more about her. So, yeah, so that's, I mean, I think you're right. I think that, you know, obviously classism is going to be a huge arc. um, And the the pressure and uh, chaos that the upper class with money can can, um, put on lower classes when they're not happy. I mean, you know, as as present today bears out. Sadly, all too true. Right. I have a distinct suspicion the kind of the X factor in all of this is going to be uh, Declan Oren, Nick Frost's character, aka sure. the Beggar King. He he's charismatic and brutal. He's he's kind of he runs the street gangs. He's like a, a, a somehow even more messed up Fagan. And I have a distinct suspicion he's going to be the connector between a lot of these fairly disparate elements. We know that he's been working with cousins, so that will probably link him to uh, Amy Manson, her character, the uh, the gang leader. So I, I can see that him being kind of the the central, him kind of having a big sort of uh, underground bazaar meeting market type place right, where he right. kind of he sits in the back, probably drinking or maybe it's, it's the Victorian era smoking something, you know, getting a bit of opium in him while making arrangements and connections between all these people in order to kind of organise the chaos that is his stock in trade. Right. But one thing you mentioned that is blowing my mind, 
we know so much about so many of these characters, but we still know absolutely nothing about the main freaking character. I know. I know. It's crazy. We just know that she's she's kind of a rebel and she drinks mm. too much. <laughs> One of the things I thought about, though, is because of the promo poster that was at the HBO Upfronts last year, and it had a very Mary Poppins mm. look to it that maybe Amalia's the Mary, you know, the Mary Poppins of the show that comes in as a governess or something. I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see. I have no idea who she is. There are a lot of children involved. I know um, Horatio, Horatio has a kid. Desiree has a kid. Uh, Violet oh, really? Predijon is quite young, as is... Um, Anna Devlin's character, Primrose Chatterway, is meant to be 16. Yeah. So yeah. it's entirely possible. We're, we're thinking right now that Amalia True is kind of joined to the orphanage as an orphan. But could it be she joined to the orphanage as a governess and is looking after them? Oh, this is bringing up very interesting new possibilities. I mean, like Lucy Best, I, I don't know what her role is going to be because she can't be she can't be a uh, an orphan. I mean, once you're in... At least if the historian was right, you, they tossed you out of an orphan orphanage when you were like 14 or something, when you were able to work, so. I wouldn't be surprised if she, again, she was part of um, the Beggar King's retinue. That's certainly possible. Dirt poor, adaptive and streetwise. Kind yeah. of a, a, maybe not quite a kind of right-hand man type situation. Kind of a, a person in the know, so to speak. Do you like what you hear on the Nevers podcast? Care to share your opinion? If you do, then consider leaving a review for the show. Your review helps us to reach new listeners and let us know how we're doing. Go on, it only takes a minute. Will we be getting a new season once a year, or will there be longer breaks between seasons, as we've seen currently in shows like Westworld? I think it's hard to say right now. I mean, because of COVID, they very well may break it up because they had the first part of the season. It, that would assume, though, that they they filmed everything in order. Mm. So I don't know. That's the thing. When this was an HBO show, in kind of heavy air quotes, I assumed it would be following a fairly strict once a year release schedule. But now we know it's moving to a streaming network on HBO Max. One of the great freeing things about being on a network like that is you can kind of just release it when it's ready. You don't need to stick as strictly to a schedule as you do for the TV. I wouldn't be surprised if we got one roughly every 12 months. But I also, I think it it leaves a lot of space open where they could kind of maybe release like a one-shot special at Christmas or Doctor Who style. Drop one out every 18 months if the show requires a bit of extra work. I think the fact that it's on a streaming network and the fact that the world is in utter chaos right now, it it gives them a bit more freedom to work how they need to make sure the product they release is always as good as it has to be. So far from what I've seen with HBO Max, though, is they're sticking to the HBO sort of stuff. And they're releasing things as, as seasons. They release once a week. They actually, on new shows, they release two or three in a row, right? Oh. Right at the beginning so that they can get people interested. So for... Um, uh, Lovecraft Country, they released two or three up front. There's a couple of others that they've, that have come after that they have. Um, there was a, 
a true crime thing about um, a murder in England. I can't remember the name of it. It was the murders at Whitehall Farm. Ah, and yeah. they released uh, three episodes of that up front, and I ate that show up. It was fantastic. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, I, I think they'll stick to the playbook mostly. Um, they may goose it with, like, especially with Joss, because it takes him a minute to get going. So, so yeah. So, that that's my prediction. Will there be big spaces between production? I don't know. West. World has, you know, they started doing that with Westworld and Game of Thrones. And I, you know, I don't know what that's about. Uh, production um, <laughs> demands or whatever. So it's just, it's really hard to say. We're kind of in a transitional point with COVID about how long things things are taking um, and how long it's taking HBO to put out their premiere series. So we'll just have to see. It's a tricky situation. We kind of everything's really in the air right now because we can't tell how much is delayed due to them just hey, having it set in a certain way, and how much is delayed due to the collapse of the world. Not uh, to be so, over dramatic or anything, but yeah, no, it does make kind of speculating on things like release schedules a little bit trickier than it would have been sure. in a, sort of in a normal year. We talked about this off air too, that Ty and I are really tired of everything being on every channel. Like you used to have cable with a bunch of channels. Now you have a bunch of channels with a bunch of shows and all these channels are different streaming services and you still have cable and it's super annoying because the whole reason I dropped cable was so I wouldn't have to pay as much. And now it's, Mm. you know, it's completely ridiculous. So let's talk about the cast and where we've yes. seen the cast. This is going to be fun. Uh, first off, our mystery lady, Laura Donnelly, the lead <laughs> of the show. Uh, she has been in Outlander, which I've seen her in. Britannia, which I tried to watch. Apologies, Laura. <laughs> um, I'll try and go back to it someday. Uh, Beowulf, Return of the Shield, and The Fall. Uh, I... I I haven't seen The Fall in so long. I don't remember who she was in The Fall. But she's also in Tolkien with Nicholas Holt. And she's amazing yes. in that um, as uh, his wife. So uh, that it's the story of J.R.R. Uh, Tolkien um, and uh, as a young man during the war. So uh, she's uh, Irish. She's an Irish actress. And as we said before, we don't know her character at all, really, uh, what she's, who she's going to be in the show. Uh, Have you seen her in anything, Ty? This is where I have to make a bit of a confession. (laughs) No, I know literally nothing about Laura Donnelly. I have not seen, I, I was combing through her IMDb trying to find a single point of context I could latch on to. I'm very sorry, Laura, if you're listening. Like, <laughs> um, Outlander kind of piqued my interest because I know it, it seemed quite a solid concept and I really love Bear McCreary, who did the OST. But I, don't know, I just kind of never quite got around to watching it. And then, yeah, she's just been in a lot of things that I sort of wanted to watch but didn't. I think this could actually be okay, though, just because it means... I'm She's going into the show fresh. with no right. preconceived notions of kind of who she'll be and how she'll be. You know, she will very much be starting this journey together from square one instead of right. having all these kind of ideas of who she should be or could be. So I've seen her in Outlander um, and I have seen her in The Fall. That was the show uh, with Gillian Anderson. Yes. Anderson from X-Files. And that was a great show. I love that Gillian's become British. 
<laughs> we will happily like, she's adopt her. She's your national treasure now, not ours. But the falls are really great. The detective, mm. uh, you know, cop, hardened profiler versus serial killer series, and it was fantastic. So, uh, so yeah, I encourage you to ch- really of all of them, I, I encourage you to check out um, Tolkien. I'm going to let you talk about Dennis O'Hare because you're a huge fan. Thank you. Next up, we have Dennis O'Hare, who's playing Edmund Haig. He has been in American Horror Story, True Blood, The Comedians, The Good Wife, This Is Us, and Big Little Lies. I've got. To, I know I've told the story a million times, but I'm going to keep telling it because I love it. When I first saw the cast list, I kind of just passed over his name. I didn't really recognize it. But then when I was doing my research for that first cast cast we did... I realized that he was in uh, True Blood as Russell Edgington, and I just absolutely lost my mind. He is a brilliant, brilliant character. And if he can bring kind of that fire into this role, it's going to be so good. And then I saw him in This Is Us, which is a show I had to stop watching because I was sorely dehydrated from sobbing the entire time. (laughs) One of the saddest TV shows ever made. It's just constant gut punches but he was brilliant he was brilliant 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 in that so yeah i'm i'm very very excited to see what dennis o'hare is capable of doing with a just script and this kind of leeway it's going to be outstanding he's he's just he's so multi-talented he's uh mm. he's a stage actor um, he's he's a character actor that with a name, which is a funny thing to say. But he, you know, um, I really remember him the best from American Horror Story and all the different roles he's he's taken on for Ryan Murphy. Um, and he's just, you know, he's every man, but he's, you know, he can be the schmuck, he can be menacing, he can be debonair. He's, he's just really, uh, fantastic. Um, and I'm with you on True Blood. I was like, cause I read the books and when they said he was going to play Russell Edgington, I was like, can he pull Russell off? And he <laughs> totally did. Totally did it. Yeah. And I mean, judging from everything he told us when we interviewed him a while back, his character sounds like it's going to be one of the real standouts for the show. So. Oh. I can just imagine, like, I can feel him acting. Like, you talk about pictures you can, you can hear. Yeah. <laughs> I can, like, I can envision his characters, this, this hey guy. If I think that, I mean, it's probably going to be totally different, but I have my vision of him acting in that role. It's crazy. Olivia, my girl Ooh. Williams. <laughs> <laughs> So you talked about how excited you are about Dennis O'Hare. This is the one I'm the most excited about because I love Olivia Williams. Like when she was on Dollhouse, she was just so good. Oh, and I, yeah, I know her from um, a ton of period pieces. Um, she was Jane Fairfax on um, an Emma series uh, from BBC. Um, she's She's been in a ton of movies. She was in Miss Austin Regrets. Um and she was Adele DeWitt in Dollhouse. And, you know, mm-hmm. when she came into that, just razor sharp, I was just like, she was, to me, her and her and Topher were two of the best parts of that show. And um, so when she got this role, I was just like, yes. So um, so she was also in The Sixth Sense. Uh, she played uh, Bruce Willis's wife that uh, he left behind. Um, and Counterpart... So I have not seen Counterpart. Um, 
Tide mentioned before we started that it's on Hulu, so I got to go check it out. Uh, I thought it was a BBC show, and I was really upset that I couldn't see it, and I haven't seen them advertising it, so my algorithm must be way off. Um, but uh, her and J.K. Simmons are in this show, so uh, so yeah. So I, I mean, between her and Dennis, uh, before we even get to Nick Frost, right? Like, oh my gosh, this cast is just powerhouse, just insane. And I don't know why, but it's just hitting me now for some I think just seeing their names listed next to each other. We're actually going to get a chance to see a scene written by Joss where Olivia Williams and Dennis O'Hare are acting opposite each other. Oh my lord, I hope so. That I is just so. gonna be a thing of pure perfection. Yeah. Tour de force. Oh yeah, that's gonna be a real set destroyer of a scene. Right? You can just see people clapping and weeping after it on the ca- on the crew. <laughs> yeah. Next up is an actress that has a, a somewhat smaller IMDb than the previous ones, but has been in a couple of real standout performances. It's uh, Rochelle Neal. She's currently killing it in Das Boot. She had a few appearances in episodes. Much like every actor in England, she's appeared briefly in Doctors. And she had a brief <laughs> cameo in Terminator Dark Fate. I didn't really, I didn't really know this lady. I wasn't particularly familiar with her work. But once I saw that she was going to be in this, I watched a bit of Das Boot, which it, it's not really my style of show, but she she was fantastic in it. So I'm very much looking forward to her performance in this. Uh, I admit I have not seen Rochelle in anything, but she's absolutely stunning for one thing. Um, I noticed. And it's Das Boot, just like Das Boot the movie. It's the German I believe so, submarine yes. kind yeah. of thing. Is Episodes a British comedy? Yes, it's it's a really really funny show. Okay. It's because there's an American spinoff of it that had Joey from Friends on it, but I didn't I didn't think it was the same thing that she was on. It is excellent. So yeah, like I mean, from the little I've seen of her, I'm expecting very good things in the show. And she uh, she's one of the characters I'm like from the character descriptions. She's one of the ones I'm particularly looking forward to. She's the the firebender. So I, I know that's always well, fun. That's going to be amazing. Next up, we have one of the actors I was most excited for. My boy, Nick Frost. Nick Hell Frost. yes. He was in the Ooh. absolutely criminally underrated and sorely missed Into the Badlands. He was in The Huntsman Winter War, which I never actually saw. He was in Sick Note, which I really want to see but haven't yet. He's in Slaughterhouse Rules, which I'm going to be watching very soon. And, of course, the one, probably his most famous work with his good friend Simon Pegg, the Cornetto Trilogy, a.k.a. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End. Which many people see as a kind of spin-off slash spiritual successor to one of the greatest sitcoms of the 90s, this, the stoner masterpiece Spaced, which is <laughs> one of my all-time favourite TV shows. I absolutely love Nick Frost. Like, I, you know, I, I spent most of my teenage years before streaming... I had both seasons of Space on DVD and I just watched them on repeat. I loved them so much. (laughs) He was brilliant in them. And then obviously when the Cornetto trilogy came out, that was just them but with a bigger budget. Brilliant in that. And everyone kind of had this idea of him as sort of the, you know, the funny sidekick for Simon Pegg. And it was like, hey, he's, he's good in that. Great. Then Into the Badlands dropped. Yeah. Yeah. And he just, he blew my mind not only was he a completely different character he was an absolute badass Bargy was one of my 
all-time favourite characters on that show. He carried the second season. And seeing that, because it's, it's very similar, he's very, quite a similar character in Into the Badlands to, to what I'm assuming he's playing in The Nevers. So I'm very, very excited to see kind of an extension of Baji coming into The Nevers, which is just, I hope he gets to throw down as well, because he was, he was pretty good at the, the fighting. Yeah, I, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think uh, people have this image of Nick Frost as the hapless kind of mm. pudgy goof, right? That you know, and that I mean, to be fair, the Coronetto trilogy was that he was that in space. Yeah, very much. Um, so. But uh, I also watched Into the Badlands. I thought he was amazing. So when they announced him as the character he's going to be in the Nevers, I I was just like, oh my god, he's going to chew up the scenery. Uh, as Declan Oren and and I am looking forward to it because I think it's going to be a, a lot. We talk about this all the time, and I I think he's going to be like Badger without being kind of hapless like Badger, without kind of being bigger than like he's actually going to be smart and not kind of a bumbler, right? So there's going to be he's going to be an intellect with this kind of underground thing going. So I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, everybody knows Nick Frost, but I don't know if everybody's going to know this Nick Frost, right? Because obviously Into the Badlands didn't have a big enough audience to keep it going. I, I, I actually, like, while I obviously want him to be, you know, funny, nice, cuddly Nick Frost, I kind of want to see him just playing an unrepentant, just an absolute horrific character just because i think it'd be i think it'd be fun for him you know they always say playing the bad guys is way more fun than playing a good guy i just want to see him really like completely disappear into the role and not be like oh look there's nick frost i'm like oh my god it's 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 the beggar king run and hide he'll kill us right uh, but i think you know joss it's not going to be that easy right yeah, true he's he's gonna be like the the, the closest character i think that came to one of the complexities of Joss's characters was uh, what's his name on Battlestar Galactica, Gaius Baltar. Yes, because you you could hate him and understand and sympathize with him all at the same time. And I yeah. think I think that is Joss's great gift when writing characters is making them awful and vulnerable all at the same time, likable even like Spike was, you know, yeah. and he was a terrible person until he got his soul, right? Even a little so, bit afterwards, to be honest. <laughs> well, he never kind of lost that that punk rock thing. That's a big one. Like Nick Frost is like, you, we talked about Olivia Williams, Dennis O'Hare, and now it's Nick Frost. It's like, ah! Next up, a character I'm slightly less excited for because, again, I don't, I don't really know who he is. James I Norton. Do. My, my my friend Ari, who will be listening, she loves this guy. He's amazing. Yeah. I didn't know. I, I uh, to be honest, I didn't look really look him up until uh, he came. He was cast in the show, and then I realized I knew him from a bunch of stuff. So he was in Grantchester, McMafia, The Recent Little Women, War and Peace, Death Comes to Pemberley, and of course Black Mirror, which everyone loves but yeah like i have seen black mirror and i can't remember exactly what do you remember which episode of black mirror he was in no but i did see him in death comes to pemberley um i saw war and peace uh i saw little women and he was he was great in that he was mr brooke and and little women who was just kind of the the bookish schoolmaster type 
Um, and Grantchester, which I was, uh, I watched because of the Nevers, which I thought he was, okay. he was really great in. He like he's he clearly got a very strong kind of period drama pedigree. Well, I like think he, that's what you have to do in England, right? I always joke about this: is you pay your dues in England by doing Jane Austen. <laughs> I mean, there are so many actors that are huge in America now, like Damian Lewis and, and, you know, a ton of others that I know from 10 years before they got big here from showing up all in all the BBC costume dramas I watch. Yep. <laughs> I think uh, The Nevers is going to be a breakaway for him. He's uh, over the course of the stuff I've seen. He's very much the straight man, if not the cuckold or the put upon guy like and you can see it because he's he's tall and he's kind of reddish blonde hair and he's he's very if you will all american looking in a way (laughs) so he's always the good guy kind of the uh i i hate to keep using hapless but hapless good guy (laughs) right and and um i think as hugo swan it's going to be an incredible uh stretch for him just like Mm. nick playing against type you know, this is going to be very against the type he's been cast in for the most part. So, Miss Eleanor Tomlinson and her eyes. No, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, she um, had a long uh, running role on Poldark. I have not seen anything but the first season of Poldark, which means I haven't really seen her really take on the role she goes through with so i don't want to spoil anybody because you know um she uh she was also in um death comes to pemberley which i've seen uh the white queen which i've also seen and war of the worlds um is that the new one that's the new one right that's the new one i remember them talking about the the new one which i have not seen um Uh, i saw the first two seasons of poldark and I'll be honest, I literally only watched the second season because of her. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a huge fan of the show, but I thought she was just captivating. And on the same note, I saw War of the Worlds, which was the most god-awful wretched thing I've seen in a very long time. Clearly the script writers are nowhere near as smart as they thought they were. They tried to get really meta with it, and it just didn't work. But... Even with one of the worst scripts I've ever seen, she shone. There was one scene in the, thankfully, the very blessedly soon to arrive final episode, where it's just her in a room giving a monologue and she was captivating. I could not look away. She was that brilliant. So I'm very, very, very excited to see what she can do when she's given a script which doesn't stink. So, uh,. So, yeah, so her character uh, is a disappointing career and broken engagement, haven't diminished her spirit spirits from her dream of singing on stage. Uh, she's going to be great, and she's going to be surprised how. So we don't know her. She t- clearly is going to have a power. Her name's mm. Mary Brighton. Um, and we have surmised on shows before that the first episode is going to involve the stage. So maybe we'll see her almost immediately. We don't know. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, 
Amy Manson, who is uh, in The White Princess, Once Upon a Time. Uh, she plays Merida in that, um, which I watched that show religiously. Um, <laughs> Atlantis and Doom Annihilation. Amy Manson is, plays Malady. Um, so we, uh, she's super unstable um, and is being tortured by uh, doctors for her, for her power. Is it Eggman Pegg torturing her? I hope not. <laughs> uh, and uh, she is uh, part of a gang. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's part of, you know, Lucy Best and part of Declan and all that kind of stuff. We don't really know. But I'm I'm super excited about her character. Because mm. she's going she's gonna to be nuts. Oh, right? yeah, definitely. Like, nuts. I saw her in... Uh, she was in a show called Being Human years back, which I absolutely loved. And she was brilliant in that. She was also briefly in Torchwood, the Doctor Who spinoff, and nailed it. So I'm very, very excited to see that. I think she will absolutely be just utterly insane. And she's going to be brilliant at that. And yeah, she's like... I have a feeling she could almost be kind of a, a mid-boss kind of antagonist for the first season. Kind of think early Faith with sure. a dash of Drusilla. And I oh. think that's, yeah, exactly. And it's going to be a real joy to watch. So I'm very, very excited for her. Uh, next we have Anne Skelly. Uh, we uh, also know Anne Skelly from being the subject of one of Heather Horton's paintings, um, mm. which was absolutely beautiful. A couple, I think. Um she is known for Vikings, Red Rock, and uh, Death and uh, Death and Nightingales. She plays Penance Adair, uh, Amalia Steer's friend, and uh, the first to join her cause. Uh, devout yet heter- heretical, okay, pro- progressive Irish girl. She's the inventor, which I know, mm. Ty, you're excited about. Yes, I'm very excited about She's the willow of the show. Um, I'm sure this, you know, Joss takes umbrage to us pinning a character on her. <laughs> I'm kind of but, hoping yeah. that he just sees it as a challenge. Like, oh, really? You think that's how she's going to be? Just you wait. <laughs> well, he always ends up surprising us. So, you know, so I, I've got to be honest. I don't, I'm not sure I've seen Anne in anything. Um, I haven't watched Vikings. I haven't watched Red Rock. She's got, um, she's only got about 10 credits. So, so she was in Little Women, the miniseries, which I haven't seen yet. Uh, I have it queued up to watch. So yeah, so I'm excited for her character. I, I, I identify with who she is. So mm. I have seen Vikings, but I haven't seen the season she's in. She's not in it until the final se- until the fifth season. And I'm currently halfway through the fourth. I was kind of, I was hoping to have reached her point before we recorded this episode, but uh, real life got in the way and I haven't been able to watch it yet. But um, yeah, as you said, I'm, I'm very excited about her character. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing what she can do in that. And I mean, if she's of a quality with the rest of the people in Vikings, she's going to be amazing because that show is freaking awesome. Well, and they've called out her morality, so I think that she's going to mm. be, you know, I don't know how many people are going to have much in this show. If they do, it's very shifting. So, so we'll see. And maybe the the I'm not doing that because it's not because it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. 
I think, I think this, the show is definitely going to need a moral touchstone, which it doesn't appear oh, to have. Sure. So sure. I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy for her to be that point. Next up is Tom Riley, who we've seen in Da Vinci's Demons, Dark Hearts, Kill Your Friends, Ill Behavior, Monroe, and Lost in Austin Wickham. I know, uh, um, I know, uh, Da Vinci's Demons, what well, he was play, he was playing da vinci it was a, a real huge show a lot of people really really loved that show and were very upset when it was cancelled so i'm hoping oh he also was in quite possibly the worst ever episode of doctor who which is um robot of sherwood where the doctor lands in sherwood and meets robin hood played by tom riley who i've got to say you know credit where it's due it was a terrible episode but he was brilliant as robin hood so even in the worst case scenario, like even when with a truly epically terrible script, he is able to kind of rise above and be good. So that that's a definite tick in his favour. It's also worth noting that in that episode, he kind of bounced back and forth between being kind of a, a comedic character and a heroic character. So for his character of uh, Augie Bidlow, who I'm really hoping they pronounced Augie and not Orgie because that's just too easy a joke he's Lavinia's younger brother so I can see him and he's, he's apparently quite connected with um Mr. Widejaw's character Hugo Swan so it'll be very interesting to see the counterplay between those I, I believe there's something of a um love triangle forming between those two and uh penance I believe I think it's gonna be more of a penance is upright and uh very moral and Hugo is not, and he's going to have to balance. And Hugo's pansexual, so you know I, that's going to be interesting. Um, I I know Tom Riley from Lost in Austin playing Mister Wickham, uh, and you know he was a great cad. He was the utterly charming, you know, uh, ho- you know, black hearted, you know, schemer manipulator. So he was, he was great in that. I, I also have to admit, I know him because, um, I'm a huge fan of Lizzie Kaplan and that's her husband. Um, she's one of my favorite actresses. So when she got, she married him, I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm super excited about Tom Riley. I think, um, I think he's going to be, uh, if he's an ornithologist, sweet, disarming, it's it's going to be a, a great character for Tom Riley to play. Next up, we have Viola Pretajon, who we know from Counterpart as well, and she was recently in The Witcher. So was, that's actually all she's been in. So <laughs> there's not much. Yeah. There's not really a lot to say about Viola Pretajon because her roles are a flashback in Counterpoint Counterpart, and then she played a, the fake Siri. For right. one episode in The Witcher, right. so I mean, she she was noticeable in The Witcher. That's about all I have to say. You you talk a lot about her character, though. You have theories about her character um, because yes. she she's not speaking; she babbles, and so yes. I've got to say, while I am, there's a lot of characters that I'm looking forward to because I like the actor and want to see what they can do with the character. She is the one character where I'm looking forward to the character and I'm interested to see 
kind of almost the opposite of the other. I'm more interested in the character than I am with the actor. Right. So I'll be very interested to see what she can do. Because I think this, this character does seem like it's going to be quite... Kind of, she's everyone's favourite weird little mascot. But I have a distinct suspicion that this mascot is going to become a lot more <laughs> than we assumed. Because, I mean, this is one of our we're always right theories... We had a theory in one of our previous podcasts that she was going to be speaking. She wasn't speaking gobbledygook. She's just speaking something that no one around her can translate. So they assume it's gobbledygook. And she then tweeted about studying with her Latin teacher. So that's all I'm going to say on that subject. So speaking of classism, her character Myrtle Hapslish is classified as a middle class girl. Um, from a from a good family and she starts this you know speaking in tongues thing she can't speak english anything resembling speech um so she's given to the orphanage and so uh so that'll be interesting to watch that evolve yeah there are there are also a few there's a few characters with children and there's a few characters that have powers related to speech or singing so it's they are definitely laying some (laughs) <laughs> Some groundwork here for a couple of pretty strong arcs. It'll be very interesting to see what the payoff is for all of these. Absolutely. Okay, next up, we have Kieran Sonia Soar, who you will know from Mogul Mowgli, which is hard to say, Pure, Silent Witness, Brexit, Next of Kin, Black Mirror, and Legends. I say, um... I saw her Black Mirror episode and I really, really like that. She's probably most known in England, if not in the rest of the world, as playing Salma in Murdered by My Father, a really, really brutal drama from 2016 about um, kind of honour killings and horrible shit going on in England. I was going to say, it must be an honour killing drama. Yeah, it's like she was like emotionally ruining in a TV movie. And yeah... Just based on that, I would have hired her to play frickin' anyone. She was really good in that. So I'm very, very much looking forward to what she can do in this. And she was in, you know, kind of to balance out it. She was in um, Black Mirror, as everyone was. Where she, she, was, she was good in that too. So, yeah, very, very much looking forward to what she can do. Her uh, bio is Harriet Cower. She is a young Scottish Sikh. Harriet lives with the orphans, but is accepted by both her family and her betrothed. So we don't know why she's there. She's Mm. clearly not an orphan. Um, Optimistic without being naive, Harriet is determined to live her life as she planned, despite its increasing weirdness. (laughs) (laughs) Classic. So maybe she works there. Uh, Maybe she's an assistant or uh, 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 house staff to Lavinia. We don't know. It all depends on how great Lavinia's house is. Like, because Mm. besides the orphans, she would have to have a whole staff besides that. I think we've we've very much been assuming that the cast are going to be playing the orphans. But I'm I'm now starting to think we are on absolutely the wrong track here. I have a feeling. I think some of them are. A few of them them are, obviously, because they're all like the kind of the younger cast that will be playing the orphans. But... I have a feeling I'm, I'm starting to get a real kind of X-Men first class vibe from this, <laughs> where a lot of the touch are going to be kind of almost teachers in the orphanage instructing the younger members on how to kind of survive. Could be. So, yeah. Could be. Could be. 
that there's a lot of children, but we're just going to focus on some of the ones that are empowered. Um, could be that they are actually house staff. Who knows? I mean, a lot there is no on. telling. I, I feel like we need to do one of those crazy, like whenever they show someone's like crazy and paranoid and they do the board with all the connections to everything, <laughs> we need to put up all the pictures of the actors on something and do a connection board. Like, well, this is her brother, but he also knows this person. Blah, 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 blah. Yep, yep. Um, on to Pip Torrens. Um, Pip Torrens has a really long rap sheet as an actor, like really long, <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> like there's uh, only a few of his stuff uh, that's listed here. Uh, Mogul Mogley, uh, Pure, Silent Witness, Brexit, Next of Kin, Black Mirror, Legends, Preacher, uh, and Dez. Um, I actually, the first time I think I saw him uh, that I recognized him was in The Crown is Tommy Lasellas Or Lasellas. I can't remember how they say it, but he was very much... Um, the first gray man to the queen, which is very much kind of who his character, Lord Masson, sort of sounds like in the Nevers. And Tommy Lasselis was a real person, and he was the person that got stuff done for the queen in her in the young early part of her reign. And so um, it stands to reason that he will very much be uh, someone like that, but he obviously sounds darker in the nevers he's being set up to be the bad guy who knows if he really will be he was also uh i i rewatched uh pride and prejudice with Keira knightley uh about a month or so ago and noticed that he was one of the 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 upstairs staff i was like oh. there's lord mass <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah so uh I, you've probably seen him a lot more than i have tag so Yes, I'm actually currently watching through Preacher, and he plays a recurring character in that, Hair Star. And I've got to say, hands down, my favourite character in the series. He is utterly, utterly insane. He's like, in in the same way in that you know in uh, that he played kind of a, the first Grey Man. In this, he very much plays the kind of this strange religious enforcer for this bizarre group called Grail, who are trying to. Um, bring about the uh, the second coming of the Messiah. It is one like there's one episode where it's kind of how he rose to his position of power within the organization, and it's one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen. He somehow manages to be absolutely terrifying while also being utterly absurd. If he can bring that level of kind of unpredict- unpredictability and kind of insanity to this character, he's going to be an absolute fan favorite. I'm, yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm very. I, I, when I first saw the Carters, I wasn't particularly. I didn't really know who he was or what he'd been in. But since then, I've seen him in sort of two or three things, and he's been ve- he's been really varied in everything he's been in. But oh, he's yeah. been he was- th- the one constant is that he's been brilliant. Yeah, he was super impressive in the Crown. Like, mm. you know, I, 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 the the gray men, uh, especially framed under kind of the history of Princess Diana, the, the, the queen's advisors, have always been really vilified, right? And Tommy Lasellas, most of all, in his dealings with Princess Elizabeth, uh, not Princess Elizabeth, but Princess Margaret, um, that kind of thing, you know, doing what had to get done to preserve the 
the the name of the crown and keep it from you know being cheapened or or stained or stuff like that so um there's an interesting it's there's a lot of crossover if you look at his um at his bio it is castless he's been in war and peace which um great uh uh james norton was in he was in grandchester which james norton was in um he was also in star wars <laughs> yeah i saw it wasn't expecting that. He's got like he has one of the most impressive IMDb really pages does. on this cast. He really has just been in everything and was and great was, in all of yeah, it. And he was in Poldark. So <laughs> you know. I I I I think that's indicative of British casting as well. Like everybody knows everybody, but it's it's you know, it I was scrolling through his cat his cast list and it just wouldn't end <laughs> like 100, 187 credits is one of the longest lists i have ever seen so good for him elizabeth barrington uh has appeared in um the tracy Ullman show which i loved that was a riot um good omens and stella good omens i saw i don't i can't remember what her role was in that but she plays lucy best who we've talked about, uh, the streetwise, uh, poor adept. She's probably going to have a cockney accent. <laughs> Very much so, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing delicate about Lucy, though she's given up thieving to live with the orphans. So she's living with the orphans as well. Her quick wit and high spirits mask the pain of a tragic past. So she, maybe she's a caretaker? I don't know. Elizabeth Barrington is uh, on Twitter. I follow her. We all try and follow the actors, but I, I really... I really love Elizabeth Barrington's politics. She does not give an <laughs> F. She really doesn't. It's awesome. <laughs> she is fun. I, it's fun to watch all her retweets. Well, not fun, but uh, I, I always know what's going on in England because of Elizabeth Barrington. Uh, Vanity Fair, uh, Little Boy Blue, Tracy Ullman Show, Camping, which was supposedly pretty funny. They tried to do camping here in America and it flopped. And she was in in Good Omens. She was uh, one of the the, the High Devils, Lord oh, of the Flies. Yeah, she's Dagon. Yeah, I think like I've seen Good Omens. I think two or three times now. I've seen Elizabeth Barrington in a bunch of things. I did not know that was her. Like she no, absolutely I... disappeared into that. She's clearly yeah. a very very um, adaptive actress, yeah, versatile so actress. But I, I mean, I'm. I think it's because she's described as adaptive in her character profile. And that's what's that's where it's stuck in my right. head. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing what she can do with that role, like quick wit and high spirits with a tragic past. That just sounds like perfect Whedon material. So Anna Devlin, Anna Devlin was in Twelve Monkeys. The importance of being mm-hmm. Oscar, which I assume I have not seen, but is probably about Oscar Wilde. Makes uh, sense. Hannah, uh, I'm going to assume that's the TV show, not the movie, mm-hmm. um, and the witches which is probably the new adaptation with Anne Hathaway. I believe so. Uh, yes, yes. So uh, Hannah, the TV series, she plays Gina. I saw the movie. I've not seen the series. Um, uh, 12 Monkeys I have seen, but she was a chorus in that, so I wouldn't have yeah. recognized her. Um, I have not seen The Importance of Being Oscar. So the Nevers will really be, uh, unless the witches beat, I think the witches may beat that out as... Um, the first place I'll see her. Anna plays Primrose Chadway, a uh, 16-year-old, wants to be a proper ordinary girl and not take up much too much space, except she's 10 foot feet tall. So, 
I really like this is one of the most unbelievable parts of it as Josh tends to stay grounded in reality with the characters. So it's going to mm. be interesting to see how they deal with someone that's 10 feet tall. Indeed. There's definite uh, echoes of, I believe it was season eight or nine Buffy where Dawn became a giant. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll yeah. be interesting to see how he, if he kind Absolutely. of incorporates any of that. And yeah, that's the first. That. That's the first place my mind went was uh, Dawn mm. being gigantic. Next up, an actor that I know you are quite excited for, and I've got to say he's he's going to be good. Martin Ford, who is playing Odium, <laughs> Nic- Nicholas Purball. Looking through his his IMDb, he's basically played. He's been in a lot of things where he's played people. That are freaking massive. And this scary. dude looks like he's living CGI. He is ripped. And just to make it more fun, it seems they're hinting that he maybe isn't quite what you would expect a human to look like. Yeah. I'm very much getting the uh, practical effects, maybe some horns or scales. I think he was the one that led on that they're making him look bigger than even not he sure. is. <laughs> not sure how that's um, possible, but okay. Yeah. Um, so his character is Nicholas Purball, a.k.a. Odium, the uh, quintessential henchman. He looks as unpleasant as he smells. The side effect <laughs> of a rather surprising turn. Huh. We'll do any kind of work for money. Poor Martin Ford. Uh, he plays all these, you know, just astoundingly terrifying characters and if you follow his twitter he's such a nice man (laughs) like he's enormous but he's got this cute little blonde daughter and a wife and he's always talking about sports cars and you know getting ripped and he's just like i mean i obviously he's he's gonna be typecast most of the time but but i just i think the dichotomy is amazing it's just a picture like just for everyone out there that wants a kind of a, a rough judge of how big martin ford is i just found a picture of him standing next to dave batista who you'll know as drax who you'll know as a walking wall of muscle and odium has at least six inches on him in both directions <laughs> he is an actual living giant yeah. but yeah i don't know why but I would just, I would really, I can really see Josh doing this, and I really hope he does. I would love Odium to be this massive guy, super scary, but then have, like, a little kitten as his pet, or have something kind of so that you can see that actually he is, like, he's the quintessential henchman. But he's not, a, he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. Like maybe he, like, has has plants or something. Like, I want him to have some kind of nice sort of pastime. Like, when he's not smashing in skulls for money he's tending his allotment or crocheting <laughs> well i think that's uh noble of you but i think he's going to be the terminator <laughs> yeah i mean especially if he's like turning into a giant fish or something he's clearly going to be he's going to be a I just, monster i want to know what that turn is if he smells terrible like oh my gosh what what did eggman Haig do to him <laughs> oh God, yeah i have a distinct suspicion he's gonna he's like he's gonna be like a um like a, a fish monster, like a um, or a minotaur or something. Like he's, he's going to have turned into some know. kind of gross monster. So, I hope they don't modify him too much. I hope he's still like human looking, but who knows? Okay, 
Next up, we have Zachary Momo, who you may have recognised from Doctor Sleep, Harriet, Seven Seconds, or Americana. He's been in... Um, he took the, the Doctor's Holby City route to fame. The, the, another English graduate. I'm sorry, I haven't seen much that he's been in, and I'm, I'm feeling quite bad. There's a lot of these people, I'm like, oh, he was in all these good things. Haven't seen any of them, though. I think I need to up um, my TV game. I saw Doctor Sleep uh, when it came on HBO a couple of weeks ago, um, uh, and he, he was in it, but I don't really remember it because I had had wine, <laughs> <laughs> and I actually need to watch Doctor Sleep again. Um, yeah, you know, it was Saturday night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he. Uh, I'm excited for for his role. Oh, he was in Harriet. He was John Tubman. Wow. Yeah, that movie got a lot of buzz at the American Oscars. I'm not sure about um It did. Uh England. But yeah, that's a pretty significant role. Hmm. But he is definitely one of the characters I'm most excited to see because Yeah. I think he, there's going to be some real kind of conflict and drama with him. Because he's a successful physician, so he's going to be kind of quite landed he's married with a young kid so he's got a lot to lose yeah but then he starts working with amalia discovers his own ability i'm assuming that means special power not just he's really good at surgery and he's working with the beggar king like yeah so he gets mixed up with all that underground stuff is his work with the under are we to take from that that he's kind of fallen from grace is he or is it yeah, like a little, a little kind of side hustle he's got going on, helping, help like fixing up the various people that get. Um, maybe hurt. it's a blackmail sort of thing that we know what you're about and we need your help. You know, very. And we we do know that uh, Hugo Swan has a uh, secret club with a side trade in blackmail, so that is entirely yeah, so possible. I'm telling you, we've got to do that board. <laughs> we really do. There's so much going on. It's crazy. Uh, Ella Smith, who we talked about at the top of the show, uh, uh, Hoff the Record, uh, Cinderella, uh, Babylon, uh, Frankenstein at the National Theater. I also wanted to mention a movie that she's been critically acclaimed for called Ray and Liz. Um, it's a, about a dysfunctional couple. Um, she's, she's got, really got a lot of great reviews for that, which I haven't seen it because I haven't been able to find it on any of my streaming services, but I'm excited to see it. I'm excited for her character. She um, is another character I identify with, kind of down on your luck. Um, you know, not so much the prostitute, but the, you know, not the upper class woman, not the, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so she's a, she's a, she's a seer, or at least a truth sayer that she's a, she has the ability to coax um, the truth out of men and what's on their minds, which, uh, depending on who her clients are, could be extremely dangerous. Um, they come away relieved in more than one sense. Unfortunately, what she heard may get her killed. So, um, I, you know, I'm not sure how she works into the, the whole, uh, scheme that we're talking about. She's obviously going to be more in touch with the downstairs portion of the people on the show, but depending on her clientele, it could be Masson, it could be Haig, it could, you know, who knows? So, yeah. Um, Masson would be in a position to tell her, you know, tell her something he shouldn't. So, 
So it's going to be really interesting to to explore her character because we don't know her obvious connections. Yeah. I have a feeling that she may be kind of the MacGuffin for the series. With Considering her power and considering her position, there is every reason to assume she may hear something she's not meant to. Oh, sure. Cause some kind of cascading effect of, you know, a horrific apocalypse is, is, right. is, that will bring everyone together at the end. But I've got to say... I haven't seen much that Ella Smith was in, but I did see her in Babylon, the TV miniseries, oh, where nice. she was just an absolute wrecking ball. She was a force to be reckoned with. And if you, let's just, if you have a minute, go and look at the cast for Babylon. It's one of the most loaded casts, considering it's a show that no one freaking talks about. Like, there is a lot of serious talent in that show. And she was, like, right up there with the best of them. Oh wow! So just based on that performance, I can I can kind of tell I can I can see an angle she could take for that very kind of no nonsense character, and that could be very very interesting, especially if she does prove to be kind of the MacGuffin, the linchpin that connect that causes the inciting incident, which causes everything to go off. I, I I'm also wondering if you know she knows her power and she gets paid by other people to seduce men and get out of them what they're thinking I like that kind of that angle fascinates me too I, I could very much see a connection between her and hugo swan so hugo has his club he sends desiree out to kind of you know to entertain the guests end of the night he she comes back to him because yeah all right that guy he's diddling his maid that guy has just <laughs> killed that maid for diddling him and then absolutely he pays her and that's a really away. great insight i didn't even think about that um and finally ben chaplin who in the 90s, I was like, oh, Ben Chaplin. Um, <laughs> he's been in the Thin Red, thin, uh, thin red Line, uh, which was a uh, uh, Terrence Malick film, I believe. Um, Mad Dogs, which if I'm thinking right, it was the motorcycle thing with John Travolta. That's probably why I haven't seen it. Snowden, uh, which is about Edward Snowden. The Legend of Tarzan. Uh, and the movies that I know him the best for, Washington Square and The Truth About Cats and Dogs. Yeah, I'm very excited to see what he can do with a kind of long-suffering police chief who's slowly being dragged into this strange world he can't quite comprehend. Yeah, uh, so uh, Truth About Cats and Dogs was a romantic comedy with um, uh, Janine Garofalo. Uh, Washington Square was uh, based on a literary piece um, it was directed by Agnesa Holland, who recently directed James Norton in Mr. Jones. Um, it was a, a novel by Henry James about a homely heiress that his character romanced in order to get her money. And her and her father wouldn't let them marry because he knew he was up to. And finally, she, she took a, a small buyout from her father so she could marry him. And, of course, he turned around and said, well, I don't want to marry you if you don't have any money. Uh, he also played Cinderella's father in um, the new Disney, or not that new, that's two or three years ago, um, redo of Cinderella at the live action. So, uh, so you know, I'm, I'm super excited about him. He's, he's, uh, he's a great actor, um, and uh, his, he's still working in really important stuff. Um, and, uh, I'm super excited to see him play Frank Mundy. I hope that, um, 
especially watching, um, what's the show? Carnival Row. Um, there's a cop in Carnival Row that is played by, um, who played Legolas? It's, I'm blanking. Oh, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. Uh, kind of the world weary, down on his luck, mentally troubled cop. I hope that, um, I hope that Frank Mundy is not the, the standard issue, you know, beat, you know, detective with, you know, problems, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be interesting to see, uh, it says, uh, big, gruff, deeply moral. He trusts no one. His reputation for sudden violence. So that's interesting. Um, uh, is not unwarranted. Frank finds himself caught between the powerful who ignore the laws of the land, i.k.a. Lord Masson, mm-hmm. and those who ignore the law of physics, a.k.a. the touched. So that's going to be super interesting. He's definitely a character that I've heard a lot of people talking about how they're very interested in the direction his character is going to go and... I think there's there's a lot of potential to go in a like there's a lot of kind of positions he could fill within the cast. Sure. On paper he seems like the most kind of stereotypical character on the list. So I'm hoping that that's because he's planning to surprise us and not because he ran out of ideas by the time he reached Ben Mundy. Frank Mundy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> ben Mundy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so on to the crew members. So first up is Joss. What, what can we say about Joss? That's why everybody's listening. Um, (laughs) uh, you know, he's the writer director of Buffy. He's the writer director of Firefly. He's the writer director of Angel, Dollhouse, uh, Dr. Horrible's, uh, you know, uh, what was Dr. Horrible? Sing along blog. Uh, Dollhouse, you know, he was one of the showrun or not one of the showrunners, but exact producers for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, so. Avengers. Yeah. And then you go down the whole Marvel road is one of the architects of Marvel, the Avengers, the Avengers 2. Um, you know, he's, I've kind of had a rough go of it lately. Uh, yeah. But, uh, but we're here for his art, right? Um, yeah. you know, uh, his, his personal life is none of my business. Um, indeed. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, I'm excited for this show because I know it's him and I've never, I've never reacted to a show, um, as hard as I have his show. Like his show is, his shows, um, are amazing and they, they touch me and they make me think and I can watch them over and over and over again and find something new and ruminate on why some characters did what they did and, you know, it, it's just, you know, I've changed my mind about characters as I go on. Um, so, yeah, Joss, what else can you say? He is kind of, he's nerd royalty, but you have to respect the work he's put out. He's changed the face of television and not many people Absolutely. can say that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm in. I already know I'm in. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, Jane Espenson, who uh, also wrote for Buffy, is mm. an exec producer and writer. She also wrote for BSG. Um, I believe she wrote for Caprica as well. I think so, um, yeah. Some of her uh, more recent stuff, uh, Jessica Jones, uh, Once Upon a Time, which I knew, Once Upon a Time in Runderland, which I really liked and didn't make it very far. Torchwood. Yeah, Doug Petrie, who is also moved on to some really great stuff. He jumped from Buffy to True Calling, 
Uh, he's worked on CSI. He worked on one of my favorites that didn't make it very far, which was Pushing Daisies with oh, Lee Pace and Christian yeah. Tenoweth. And oh, it was so good. Uh, he has worked on Amer- uh, American Horror Story. There's another crossover. Um, and then, of course, the masterpiece Daredevil. Um, and from that, the Defenders. And I heard recently that Disney was behind the scenes talking to Charlie Cox about coming back as Daredevil on Disney Network. And I would die if that happened because so amazing. Charlie Cox is another one that I've seen as in all my British costume dramas. Like he was in (laughs) Downton Abbey as this obsequious homosexual, you know, Duke. The Duke of so Duke. when when he got Daredevil, I was like, "This is going to be interesting," and he's just amazing. So yeah, so I'm super excited about Doug Petrie. I love his work. Uh, and Bernadette Caulfield, uh, who we know, I believe, is an exact producer from Game of Thrones. Yes, she is. She's got a real magic touch. She's been in a lot of. Well, she's worked on a lot of very very good shows. So I'm very excited to yeah. see her here. They did a wrap-up uh, on Game of Thrones after it ended. Uh, we're, we're not going to talk about how it ended. But yeah. um, uh, it, the, talking to all the kind of the cast members and the crew, aside from D&D, uh, about the production process and getting all the last couple of seasons done. And she, it was great talking to her, uh, seeing her talk about her process and what they had to juggle to get the show done. Uh, she's also done Big Love, um, Game of Thrones, as we mentioned, Carnival, which was one of my favorite shows. Uh, she worked on the X-Files. So, yeah, we we're mm. lucky to have her. Okay. We also have Duncan McGough coming on as producer. Interestingly, his IMDb for work as a producer is basically just Game of Thrones and The Nevers. So he's probably just cross the line straight from Game of Thrones to this show. But one interesting thing that I'm noting, he's worked as a location manager quite a lot. I was going to say, yeah. He seems to be a very, like more popular as a location manager than he is as a producer. So it'll be interesting to see with that dual insight what he can bring to there. It's always good when you have people doing roles on the show that understand other parts of the show because it really helps them kind of um, kind of mesh everything together and make sure that things really work. So that's always fun. He's also been a, he's also been um, a production manager. So between the yes. two, he's worked really closely with, you know, the directors and the ADs and stuff like that. So that's, mm. you know, probably what allowed him to, to move into producing. Indeed. Next up is Greg Spence, who will also be working as a producer. He also crossed the lines straight from Game of Thrones. So (laughs) you can can see they're really just bringing people straight across. Again, he's he's worked on a lot of the the good parts of Game of Thrones. So I'm very, very excited to see. I mean, like, you know, for all that you can throw against that show, and there is quite a bit, the problems almost exclusively lay with the acting and the script. Guess which roles from Game of Thrones haven't been brought over to the Nevers? Acting and script. All the parts where Game of Thrones excelled, producing, directing, stunts, scr- um, costumes, that's all the places where the people have come across to work on the show. They've really kind of taken the cream of the crop and then brought them across to work here. So I think like they, re- it does seem that like they've really taken 
the absolute best from that show and brought them across to here. So not only does it mean they're bringing, you know, they're bringing their A game, but also we now have a cast and crew who've spent the last seven, eight years working together. The moment they hit the set to start recording episode one, they're not recording episode one. They're recording episode 70 or 80. They already know how to work together. They already know what, you know, where each other is strong and where they need support. So, I mean, it's going to be an episode one that has the feel and the polish of like a mid-season. I mean, that's, that's really going to show when that pilot comes out and just feels like a polished show already. And that's going to be a real, real plus for them. Um, I I am fine with all the actors and the acting in Game of Thrones. I think ultimately the writing was the problem. Um, Definitely, yeah. I just, I, I, we, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> it. It still hurts too much. It does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I when I said when I said the, the writing, I, I meant D and D specifically, because there was some great talent working on that show. Just not those two. But yeah, there's a story for another time. It's probably, it's probably get cut anyway. Next up, we have the cinematographer, who I know a lot of people are interested in, which is Kate Reed. She's done some amazing work. Like if again, just looking at her IMDb, it's like it's beautiful. There's so like she's on. Hannah, which is the show, the Amazon Prime one, which, you know, I really need to get around to watching because that is very good. Uh, you know, Marcella, lots of kind of real great English drama. I think one thing we can say about England, we, we know how to shoot our TV shows. Yeah. And a woman cinematographer, which you don't see every day. Well, I think it's great. Indeed. Next up, another, another absolute like A star top draw cinematographer. We have Seamus McGarvey. I know our, uh, co-host Gina is a huge huge fan of his he was the DOP for Avengers Assemble which is the everywhere else in the world name for the first Avengers movie over here we just call it Avengers but yeah, Avengers Assemble brilliant like that the scene we've, we've mentioned it a million times everyone's spoken about it a million times the scene on the motorway where they were in a ring and the camera was panning around them one right. of the greatest shots in cinema ew we also work on Fifty Shades of Grey awful film but it looked good. Fair point. Again, <laughs> once again, it was a terrible film, but he freaking nailed his role, and that's what counts. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's clear they are bringing in the absolute cream of the crop for this Absolutely. show. And one thing that has me very excited, the stunt director is the awesomely named Roly Erlem. Great, great name. He is the stunt coordinator for all the episodes. And if you look at his, you know, look at his, but he's worked on Star Wars. He's worked on Game of Thrones. He's worked on the Bourne films, the Bond films. These are all films, Guardians of the Galaxy. These films all have really slick, really polished action scenes. So it goes to show that not only are we going to be getting action in this series, but it's going to be of the really high quality that we've come to expect from Joss Whedon's work. So, I mean, I can, I'm just expect. I'm now expecting huge battles, maybe some, some naval battles. We're in for some really, really good stuff. Like, Ugh, I can't wait. Uh, I, I can't talk. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed by hype right now. Um, costume designers, Jane Petrie, uh, was the costume designer for, uh, 1.1, one, the, the, the pilot that wasn't really a pilot. Um, Jane Petrie, uh, comes from, uh, a great resume, Black Mirror, um, The King, which, um, was 
the movie that had um oh god i'm blanking what's his name from who's gonna be in Tim- timothy chalamet oh uh, yes timothy chalamet uh playing uh playing um uh soon to be crowned king rebel blah 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 mm. uh i believe he's supposed to be henry the fourth i want to say i i, I think haven't so seen yeah. it in a while uh, Blackbeard, some other stuff. Fish Tank, which I've seen, which was great. 28 Weeks Later. Um, great film. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she did the first show and then Michelle Clapton took over after that. Um, and she's from Game of Thrones. Yes. And The Crown and Masterpiece Classic, The Diary of Anne Frank, Sense and wow. Sensibility, Casanova. I mean, you know, talk about the best of the best. So... Uh, you know, for period costuming, cream of the crop. Absolutely excited about seeing both of these women's work. Jimma Jackson, production designer. If I am not wrong, she is also a Game of Thrones refugee. I believe so, yes. She is. Uh, Game of Thrones, Aladdin, Finding Neverland. Good Lord. Uh, so production design is the whole look and feel of the production, right? It's not a small role. Yep. It's new. How everything is thought through on a cellular level to be period correct, to evoke the kind of themes and meaning they want to evoke. Um, it's, it's, it's a big job. And, and yeah, she's, she's, um, she's coming in. It looks like she's done all of the nevers. Like she is one of the, the series crew. John Adams, uh, Finding Neverland, we mentioned, a Bridget Jones, Bridget Jones diary. Um, yeah, so she's got an impressive cast list as well. She and if really they're does, if they're yeah. grabbing people from Game of Thrones, you know, you know it's word of mouth, right? Yeah, you know they're they're saying this person I worked with and was fabulous, easy to work with, brilliant, blah 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 blah. So so super excited about mm-hmm. that. Uh, Christine Blundell, hair and makeup, who um, we've heard a couple of interviews with. Uh, she works on Kingsman, Finding Neverland, which she probably worked with, you know. Indeed. There's a lot of crossover <laughs> here. It, it's clear yeah. that they were like, all right, HBO, like, okay, we want to make this show. It's going to be our, our most expensive pilot ever or whatever it was. Like, they're really throwing every single arrow in their quiver. They're shooting them at this show to make sure it is as slick and as polished as possible from the moment they hit the ground. And it really speaks to kind of how how kind of how much faith they have in this production that's going like they're bringing in their absolute top draw talent and they are not wasting a second and it's 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 going to show when the when the pilot airs sure. and it is just slick as a anything yeah um i mean if you want to talk about the caliber of the movies she's worked on she's worked on wonder woman she's worked on paddington uh she's worked on um king arthur legend of the sword so and Kingsman, obviously, we mentioned before. So, yeah. So, and, you know, I haven't looked, we haven't talked about whether any of these people are award winning. I'm sure they are. I'm sure there's Oscars uh, yeah. and Emmys to go around with yep. with these po- folks. So You would need more than a single shelf to contain all the yeah. awards these people have. Actually, right here um, on her IMDb, it says she won an Oscar for Topsy Turvy in 2000 for Best Makeup. Bada bing. And obviously the production houses Mutant Enemy, Gerarg, um, and HBO. 
And we're calling it now, and, and our producer is calling it anyway, but I tend to agree with him, <laughs> yeah. uh, that a Heather Horton, Horton painting or two will make an appearance in uh, an episode. Um, so I'm, you know, pretty sure that'll happen myself. Um, it, it will be probably interesting to see how they work it in, how Joss works in it. Indeed. I mean, I know we've seen, I was on Twitter, she posted a picture. She's in the middle of painting Anakabi, a, sorry, aka Rochelle Neal. So I right. wouldn't be surprised if that was, I, mean, I don't think that's just to kill time. Like, it's a brilliant painting. So I, I would imagine that's going to show up somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I believe that she, if if there is one, she'll paint per, period style for it to appear somewhere. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's probably an excellent point there. Didn't really think that one through, did I? Her, yeah, her stuff is, uh, is pretty modern looking. Yeah. Her studies are more still life looking, but like her pool pictures and yeah, it's, it, it wouldn't work with the time period. Okay. We have now covered the cast and crew and we're moving on to you our next step is the listeners letters any questions comments anecdotes ideas email them to us at the nevers podcast at gmail.com or tweet us at the nevers podcast which is at t the nevers p-o-d-c-s-t first up we have an email from diana i'm not sure whether that's Diana, Princess of Wales, or Diana, Wonder Woman, but either way. I follow Eleanor Tompkinson. I hope you mean on Twitter there and not in person. And it doesn't look like she's back to work yet. Hopefully she's still part of the cast. Thanks, Diana. I'm very much... We've heard nothing about her leaving, so I'm pretty sure she is still on the cast. I wouldn't be surprised if either she'd just knocked out... Because in our interview with... Uh, Edmund Haig, we, um, friend of the podcast, Dennis O'Hare, he mentioned that they'd knocked out about five episodes before they had to shut down for the apocalypse. So it's entirely possible that she had just filmed all the parts she needed to film early on. Cause they don't, they don't film in sequence. They're not like, all right, today we're filming episode one. Let's film all of episode one. They'll go to a location and they'll film all the scenes that are required for that location in order to minimize movement. So it's very possible that they've just, they've already filmed her scenes, at least for the parts that are currently being right. done. Right. Or, yeah, her next scenes aren't up yet. Yeah. Mm. So there's, there's no, like, don't worry. There's very, very good chance she is still in the show. It just might be that she's not filming the parts that currently, she's not in the parts that are currently being filmed. So she's taking a break to, like, to stay away from the set because they don't want to. Have, like there's there's limits to the amount of people that can be on the set so that anyone that's right. not directly involved they're keeping away for safety's sake which is probably yep. a good idea we also have an email from sandra she said i was reading the character biographies again what else are we going to do <laughs> and something jumped out at me that i'm surprised hasn't to anyone else no one has mentioned that we've been provided with first and last names for all the characters except for amy manson's malady Interesting, no. Do you think her last name was deliberately left out because it's going to be a major reveal later on in the show? I do. Thanks and have a good show. Sandra. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a great point. I didn't think about Mm. that. Um, Yeah. uh, Malady um, might be a runaway of somebody very important or somebody very evil or who knows. Or the the illegitimate child of somebody 
Like that, that's an excellent point, And I don't know. What do you think, Ty? I actually would go one step further and say that the reason we're only given the name Malady is because that's not her name. And there's far more to be kind of secretive about. And like the fact that she was committed by her husband and has been kind of locked away, I would absolutely see her husband as being someone important and powerful that was like, ah. oh God, she, she's gone wild. Let's just lock her up and keep her away you know, to preserve the image of the family. See, I think you Interesting. are, you are absolutely right, Sandra. I'm, it may not be like a first season initial reveal, but I'm, I'm almost sure that Malady is going to be someone important. The fact that they've stressed committed by her husband, but haven't stated who the husband is or what her family right. name is, to me says that's because they're keeping it a secret. So yeah, and I'm, her, I'm, her name itself, Malady, is loaded. So yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's plug at the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music Podcast, YouTube. We're everywhere. For more Nevers-related content, um, go to the web at hbothenevers.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under hbothenevers, and at the Nevers Podcast on Instagram and at the Nevers Podcast without an A because it wasn't available on Twitter, which means maybe the Nevers podcast was going to happen to somebody else who knows uh comments or questions the nevers podcast at gmail.com and our patreon at patreon.com uh slash the nevers podcast well thanks for joining me today heather as always it's a pleasure working with you would you like to share your social medias with the world social medias of course i would i am uh hmb at uh tnp on twitter Thanks for putting up with me. <laughs> <laughs> Always a pleasure. And I have been Tyg, and you can find me at Tyg at TNP. That's T-A-H-E-G-A-T-T-N-P. And until next time, this has been The Nevers Podcast. I was going to make a very poor joke there, but I'll leave it. Um, not about about um, in, in, in England, we know how to shoot our dramas. In America, you know how to shoot each other. Um, Ouch! Sorry. Oh, did, did you get shows? No, sorry. <laughs> yeah. This episode of the Nevers Podcast was written, researched, produced, and edited by Matthew Yamanashi. The intro and outro music was produced by Gilirme Morais. We are more than just a podcast. We're a fan community. You can keep up to date on The Nevers and chat with other fans by visiting hbothenevers.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search HBO The Nevers, all one word, and click that follow button. The Nevers podcast is not endorsed by Mutant Enemy, Warner Media Entertainment, or any of its subsidiaries, including Home Box Office, HBO, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. The Nevers and all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective copyright holders. They're coming. Are you ready? Would you like to share your social medias with the world? Social medias? Of course I would. I am uh, HMB uh, at TMP on Twitter. That's uh, HMB. A-T, uh, 
Wait. <laughs> this Have is why can... I never did well in spelling bees. 